You're listening to audio from Liberty Church in the Harrisburg-Camp Hill area of Pennsylvania. For more information, please visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org. That's Liberty with an I, Harrisburg.org. It's good to be with you guys this morning as we open the Word of God. Um, it was a joy this weekend. The men gathered for our fall gathering and... Uh, such a, a refreshing time, an encouraging time, and let me just uh, say with, with great confidence that, that we believe and we see and it is evident that God is at work in the lives of men and women here at Liberty Church. Uh, it is a joy to see uh, in the midst of a time of pandemic, new faces, God drawing people into community. Uh, that was evident and our time this weekend, got to look around and see some new faces of, of men who uh, have been watching online and are uh, able to come now to kind of gather together in certain times and seasons. And so, um, friends, be encouraged. Our God is at work, uh, and he's working in the lives and hearts of those around us. Um, and also, working through his word, we are in a, a series that we have began a couple weeks back in the book of Judges. Uh, This morning we're going to be in Judges chapter 10. If you have your Bibles or uh, if you have that uh, hardback black Bible that Matt talked about, we'll be on page 210, Judges chapter 10, 210, at the 1030 service. Here we go. Turn there now. This is the word of the Lord. After Abimelech, there arose to save Israel Tola, the son of Pua, the son of Dodo, a man of Issachar. And he lived in Shemir, in the hill country of Ephraim. And he judged Israel for 23 years. Then he died and was buried. After him arose Jair, the Gileadite, who judged Israel 22 years. And he had 30 sons who rode on 30 donkeys, and they had 30 cities called Havath Jair to this day, which are in the land of Gilead. And Jair died and was buried in Canaan. The people of Israel did again what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. The gods of the Syria, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, and the gods of the Ammonites, and the gods of the Philistines. And they forsook the Lord and did not serve him. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of the Philistines and into the hand of the Ammonites, and they crushed and oppressed the people of Israel that year. For 18 years they oppressed all the people of Israel who were beyond the Jordan in the land of the Amorites, which is in Gilead. And the Ammonites crossed the Jordan to fight also against Judah, and against Benjamin, and against the house of Ephraim, so that that Israel was severely distressed. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, saying, We have sinned against you, because we have forsaken our God, and have served the Baals. And the Lord said to the people of Israel, Did I not save you from the Egyptians, and from the Amorites, and from the Ammonites, and from the Philistines, the Sidonians also, and the Amalekites, and the Maonites, oppressed you, and you cried out to me, and I saved you out of their hand. Yet you have forsaken me, and have served other gods. 
Therefore, I will save you no more. Go and cry out to the gods whom you have chosen. Let them save you in the time of your distress. And the people of Israel said to the Lord, We have sinned. Do to us whatever seems good to you. Only please deliver us this day. So they put away their foreign gods from among them and served the Lord. He became impatient over the misery of Israel. Then the Ammonites were called to arms, and they encamped at Gilead. And the people of Israel came together, and they encamped at Mitzvah. And the people, the leaders of Gilead, said to one another, Who is the man who will begin to fight against the Ammonites? He shall be the head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Merciful God, author, sustainer, and finisher of all things from eternity past to eternity future, it is by your grace that we have received your very words. It is by your grace that you give us your spirit to read them, understand them, and allow them to shape and inform our lives. Give us grace even now, not to just be hearers of the word, but doers also. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. The author, Ernest Hemingway, uh, was reported to have been challenged to write a complete and compelling story using a mere six words. Hemingway, in a way that Hemingway could, arose to the challenge and wrote this. For sale, baby shoes, never worn. A story need not be long to convey a vital slice of life to the reader. One commentator said this, although the so-called minor judges come to us in only brief vignettes, they open revealing windows into the experience of early Israel. Commentators insisting that every single judge in the book represents a step downward morally and spiritually tend to fault these figures for not doing anything to reverse the evils in their, uh, of their predecessors. To force every story somehow to display yet more decline seems a little heavy-handed. In fact, hints appear in these records that the author assessed the minor judges positively. And so this morning, we'll look at three aspects of our text today. Forgettable leaders, forsaken commitments, and faithful God. So here we have, in chapter 10 of the book of, Israel, of Judges, two minor judges. The second and third of the minor judges. The first one that we read about is Shamgar, who had a sentence written about him. Tola and Jair are minor judges in a way. Tola's narrative, if you can call it a narrative, consists of his name, his family lineage, where he lived, the length of time of his reign as a judge, and where he was buried and died. This short epithet for a judge of Israel was, um, was consisted of 45 words. It was as if they were on a budget to try to fit into the newspaper, just a brief summary of this man's 
life and and ministry. 45 words. I have a four-year-old who can use more words to describe the texture of a pretzel than that, but here is what we have. Here's what we have been given. And similarly, Jair similarly uh, uses 46 words. And we get a little bit more uh, in those words about his family, what appears to be a statement about his economic position and status. Uh, In essence, what was released was his tax returns. Um, And then he died. We see that Tola uh, comes from a long line of known men. Pua and Dodo. Obviously, we know Pua and Dodo. We have a grand experience with Pua and Dodo. Many children here at Liberty are actually named after Pua and Dodo. Um, so I don't know if we need to get into that, but just in case, in case you need a little bit of insight, uh, they were men of Issachar, and uh, they were direct, directly in line or in the lineage of Issachar, which is one of the 12 sons of Jacob, one of the 12 tribes of Israel. In 1 Chronicles 12.32, the men of Issachar were known to be uh, men who had a good grasp on the times, and they knew what Israel should do. This tribe is understood to be very pragmatic uh, and capable. Therefore, Tola's leadership would have resembled this type of competency. We also see that Jair, uh, in many ways, established himself and his family with great wealth and prosperity. 30 sons, not quite the 70 sons, but still a significant amount of sons, uh, each riding 30 donkeys. And the word is used here here, uh, for donkey is not necessarily the pack animal that we're used to seeing uh, describe a donkey, uh, but in fact is... um, is something that would be reserved for royalty. It would be something reserved for those who are uh, well off. Each of these sons also had 30 cities, or well, a city for each son, named for their family's namesake, Havoth Jair, which means basically the abodes or the villages of Jair. Jair was a family name that we also see historically throughout the scriptures in Deuteronomy and Numbers. Jair was the son of Manasseh, who was the son of Joseph. So we see here both of these men come from a long line of of influential and, and prosperous people. Tola arose and judged west of the Jordan in what is modern day Israel, and Jair arose and judged east of the Jordan, which is modern day Jordan. In Gilead. Gilead was the region, like I said, east of the Jordan River. Um, the tribe of Manasseh, Gad, and Reuben were all tribes east of the Jordan River. It's important to note in Judges um, that these, there are 12, um, 12 judges representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And, and, and what this does is this basically includes all of them, basically saying that, that, the, the, that all of Israel is, uh, is, is indicted. All of Israel is responsible for this type of rebellion against God. And yet, we don't see a lot of things in this passage. It appears from what we have in our text today that Tola and Jair did what was right for their country and their people. It appears that way. 
What we don't see in verses 1 through 5 is the outward oppression of Israel. We do not see uh, another nation coming in to oppress God's people. We don't see uh, the Mesopotamians that are mentioned previously, the Moabites, the Philistines, the Canaanites. Uh, They've been oppressed by uh, a combination of Canaanites and Egyptians, the Midianites. They've been oppressed by the Amalekites. Um, And all of this ceases, and it ceases even last week as we studied Abimelech, um, where the conflict was, instead of being outside oppression, it was inside tyranny. Uh, We see this maybe continuing, uh, maybe Tola and Jair were a part of uh, continuing to uh, um, you know, put water on the fire of the internal conflict, uh, but it may have ceased, and what we may see here is, is the, actually the peace that comes from that. This, this text also uh, neglects to say that wonderful phrase that we're used to hearing after the life and, uh, and summary of each judge that there was peace in the land for 20 years, 40 years, 80 years. That is noticeably missing when we read the stories of Tola and Jair. It simply just says that they judged Israel for 22 and 23 years. So 45 years, these two men reigned as judges. They They appeared to lead well enough to only need 91 total words to describe these 45 years. Which is why they are, in some ways, forgettable leaders. They're forgettable leaders. Uh, They're not Gideon. They're not Samson. They're not even Ehud. Uh, They were relatively forgettable people. Which begs the question, is being forgettable really a bad thing? We love memorable stories, don't we? We love uh, great men and women who arise amidst conflict. We love these stories of um, people rising out of ashes to overcome oppression. But most of us don't like uh, the difficulty that comes along with these great stories. If we were present in these times, we would probably be complaining about what was the, the realistic uh, experience that we would have in difficult times. This pandemic is a great example of that. Uh, You see, as people, we desire the glory for overcoming, but we don't want to rise up in the midst of it. We don't want to experience the pain and the toil and the torment to rise above these things. We love peace. We want peace. And that's not a bad thing. To be content to live a peaceful life is something to be valued and when we experience peace, it is something to be treasured. First Thessalonians 4, 9 through 12 says this. Now concerning brotherly love, Paul's talking to the church at Thessalonica. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. So they were excelling in brotherly love. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, to aspire to live a quiet life and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before the outsiders and be dependent upon no one. This is 
counter to the cultural narrative of our day. We're told that we need to be uh, world changers. We're told that we need to have great and massive influence. To be, actually the term now is influencer, a social media influencer. We have to have followers and likes and shares and retweets. And, And we are judged by the amount of influence that we have. There's actually uh, a biological, chemical hit when we have um, likes and shares. There's a dopamine hit that occurs in the mind and body of human beings when these things happen, which causes us to almost be addicted to this type of um, self-promotion. And we do this sometimes even with our faith. We believe the lie that we need to have uh, a massive experience. We need to have a global impact. We need to have a huge band of followers. But I would submit through Scripture and what Scripture says that this is a flawed vision of what is required. Eugene Peterson writes in his book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, this. There's a great market for religious experience in our world. There is little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue. Little inclination to sign up for a long apprenticeship in what earlier generations of Christians called holiness. Religion in our time has been captured by the tourist mindset. Religion is understood as a visit to an attractive site to be made when we have an adequate leisure. Would that be enough, brothers and sisters? Is that enough for you to have a long obedience in the same direction? To have a long apprenticeship in holiness and virtue? This may be what Tola and Jair experienced and led in. We can assume that it was rel- they were relatively faithful during their reign as there was no apparent rebellion and corporate idol worship. But we do know what happened after their death. So our second point today, forsaken commitments. Forsaken commitments. Israel not only forsook their commitment to God, but they ran headlong into idol worship. Not just one or two gods like we're used to seeing. No, in in verse 6, the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They served the Baals and the Asheroth, which we're used to reading. Two gods, we can accept that. No, they went further. They were pot committed to idolatry. They served the gods of Syria, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the Ammonites, the gods of the Philistines. Every nation that was around Israel, they took on their own uh, idol worship. They so became the culture around them that they lost any distinction. The Syrian god was Raman. The Sidonian and Phoenician gods were the Baals and the Ashtaroth. The Moabite god was Shemash. The Amorite god was Moloch. And the Philistine god was Dagon. These idol worships were filled with incredible amounts of debauchery, incredible amounts of child sacrifice. They neglected and ran headlong into 
everything that was counter to what God had instructed them to be as his people. The monotheistic people of God became polytheists. Their culture around them became too much for them to resist. Israel forsook their cultural and covenantal commitments to God. And what we see here is that after Gideon came, we never see the account of of the land and the the place and the inhabitants of Israel. We never see that the, the land had rest. We never see that phrase pop up again. Because as Christians and as people who follow God, when we are obeying God, what we bring with us is the peace of God. We bring rest and renewal. This is what happens when the people of God are present and active in the place in which they live and they are committed to, the, the, to following God's ethics. This is not something that comes naturally or easily. To live counter to culture and to obey God is difficult. It is not popular. No one is going to pat you on the back and say, hey, great job. Way to, way to believe, you know, live out what you believe. And it's difficult. It, it, it impacts, God's ethic impacts everything. It impacts how we look at things economically, sexually, from a humanitarian standpoint. It, it informs every aspect of human life and flourishing in some form or fashion. The word of God informs this. And like I said, it's hard to do that. It became too hard for the Israelites. But what happened was the ways that they capitulated to the surrounding cultures ultimately came to enslave them. They embraced these things and it became their master. It enslaved them. And what we read here in verses 6 through 9 is that it crushed them. It crushed them. They, Israel had yet to experience this type of oppression. This is new and it is intense. Brothers and sisters, let this serve as a warning, as a red flag for us that we are not to embrace the ethics of the world. There's a clear and present difference of how the Christian is to live. And it always will and always has run counter to what popular culture dictates. The holy creator, the covenant keeper of Israel, is by letting them run after those idols, allowing them to be judged, judging the sin of Israel by allowing them to pursue the very thing that they desired. They had forsaken their covenant with God and they chased after everything the world had to offer and it did not come out to give them pleasure and joy and satisfaction. It became their master and it crushed and oppressed them. So God help us if he takes his chastising hand off us, if he removes people from our lives who call us out on our sin and our abdication. God help us if we do not have roadblocks of men and women in our lives to call us out on our sin and to say, brother, sister, you are shipwrecking your life. 
Let this serve as a warning to you. May God have mercy on you here and now in this moment. It is the judgment of God when he allows us to run headlong into idol worship. Headlong into things that the world says will please us and and give us satisfaction. And that these are the things you need to aspire to. This is what it is to be a full and complete human being is to run after these things. No, God tells us that to be a full and complete human being, to, to receive and to live out life to its fullest is to follow the creator. To be informed by what he has said because he has created us and he has formed us and he knows what is good for us. If we, are, if we are devoid of the roadblocks to our own self-destruction, it is God's judgment. So brothers and sisters, may we pursue relationships here at Liberty and in the places in which we live that are going to be honest and transparent where people can call us on our sin, call us to repentance, that we may lay down our lives before God, beg for his mercy, and repent and live in faith in what his promises have for us. This is the fullness of joy. This is the fullness of life, to be known and loved by God. And still, with the apparent lack of their own obedience, the Lord would not abandon Israel here. He lets them run headlong, but he is not gone. So let's look at our third and final point this morning, a faithful God. In verse 10, Israel would confess for the first time that what they are doing is sinful. This is the first time in the book of Judges that we have the word hata, which in the Greek is translated to hamartia, or hamartia, and that is the same word is to, to like miss the mark. We'll see it later in Judges, but in regards to men throwing stones and missing. Okay, they've missed the mark. They've sinned. This is the first time in the entire book. They've repented before. It's the first time they've used the word um, that what we're doing is actually sinful. And this is important. And God responds. He responds to their confession with his own recounting of faithfulness to them and delivering his people from their oppressors in verses 11 and 12. What we see then in verse 13 is to be the apparent response of a jilted lover. And this is a hard verse for us to read. It says this, Yet you have forsaken me and served other gods, therefore I will save you no more. Go and cry out to those gods and let them save you in the time of your distress. Although Israel confessed their sin and they ended up putting away their idols, They desired not God, but they desired the riddance of their oppression. They didn't want God. They just didn't want to be oppressed anymore. And this is evident still in verses uh, 15 and 17 through 18. Verse Verse 16 says this. I'm sorry. Verse 15 says this. I said 15. Uh, And the people of Israel said to the Lord, We have sinned. Do to us whatever seems good to you. Only please deliver us this day. They they confess this, but then they qualify it. Like, we're sorry, and we're, you know, judge us, but 
but just deliver us. Make sure you deliver us. We really want to be rid of the oppression. And this becomes more evident in 17 and 18, where when the, Amor- the Ammonites come and they encamp at Gilead, and the people of Israel come together, and they encamp at Mitzvah, and they're about to come into battle, the people and the, and the leaders of Gilead say this, who is the man who will begin to fight against the Ammonites? He shall be the head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. They did all the religious activity. They sang the songs. They put on the WWJD bracelets. And then their faith and hope was actually in their own hands. They did not cry out to God for him to be the one to save them, to listen to God for his deliverer. You you contrast that with the story of Deborah, who, uh, who was faithful and who had her faith in God and his deliverance. But instead now, the Israelites relied on their own hands to deliver them. And yet, what we see in verse 16 is not God leaving and allowing Israel to be destroyed. In fact, what we do see is the very love and compassion of God. It says this, and this is a cr- the crux of this passage. So they put away the foreign gods from among them and served the Lord, and he became impatient at the misery of Israel. The God of compassion and grace despite the people's running and running and running away from him, keeps his commandment, and he is tired. Another way to read this is he grew tired of seeing his people shipwreck their lives. God had been faithful from the beginning and does not change here. Despite Israel's utter abandonment and abdication of their covenant with God, he does not destroy them. He does not give them their just punishment. Instead, they receive his compassion. And they will be ultimately preserved. They will be preserved because God keeps his promises. He keeps his promises to a thousand generations. He will be faithful to carry out his promises, and he does so in the person and work of Jesus Christ. What is true that we read here about the human heart is that um, these judges, regardless of whether they moved the needle of the people towards more faith in God or abdicated their leadership in a way that allowed the people to pursue these idols, right? they could never change the hearts of men. The heart of man, as it says in Jeremiah 17, is desperately wicked and in desperate need of God. And what's true about God in this passage is that he hates sin and he must punish it because he is holy and he is good. What's also true about God is that he is merciful and long-suffering. He relents on the total and complete judgment on his people, and he reserves that judgment and places that on Christ. Christ takes the full punishment of our sin. Thanks be to God that he takes our past, our present, and our future sins, and they've been exacted on Christ on the cross. That although we feel pressed, Christ was crushed. Although we are perplexed, 
Christ became despairing. Although we are persecuted, Christ was abandoned. And although we are struck down, Christ was destroyed. But by the power of God, he arose and he conquers and he overcame and he sits and reigns as our advocate, as our brother, and as our friend. And he loves us. He loves his people. So friends, cry out to God, for you have an advocate in Jesus who loves you and pursues you. And may the hound of heaven be constantly and consistently pursuing us. Let's pray. Jesus, we give you thanks that you took the wrath reserved for us, that you became sin even though you knew not sin. You judge rightly, and you also lead us towards faith and good works. Spirit of God, work in us this week. May we pursue a quiet life. Keep our commitments. And God, when we fail, God, we trust you that you are faithful to us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Liberty Church. To learn more about our church or to listen to previous recordings, visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org.